So I figure the best thing we can do is just uh, tack on an extra minute for every man who didn't come down, right? We just, we'll do this thing right, huh? Just jokes. <laughs> so, it's good to see you guys today. If you have your Bible, if you turn to John chapter 3, that's where we're going to get started. And I'll go to the Lord in prayer one more time for us. Lord, I pray that as we go into your word, that we would behold great and mighty things about you. Lord, I pray that we would leave here seeing how great you are, how much love you have for your people. And uh, I pray that we would also have a uh, the same sense of compassion that you have for lost people. God, I pray that we would have a hatred for sin. And God, I pray that we would have a love uh, for those who do sin. And so, God, I pray that you would give us balance. I pray that you would make us holy. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we're in John chapter 3. And if you remember, over the last few weeks, I've started out with a, a brief series on the church. Uh, two weeks ago, if you're a visitor here, two weeks ago was my first Sunday here at Kashai. And so I figured the best thing that we could do, the, the one thing that we both immediately had in common is that we, uh, I don't like this phrase, but we, we do church together. Uh, you, as a believer in Christ, are the church, right? The church isn't this building. But for some reason, we go to church. Now we call the church the building, and we, we do this thing called church together. And so one of the things that I wanted to talk about uh, over the first two weeks is why we do this thing called church. And what we talked about was that we do church because Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And that's why we do everything that we do. Jesus is not... A good teacher, he's not just a good master, but he is the son of God. And because of that, we give our lives to him and we worship him. Following me? Good deal. Make sure you guys aren't on vacation too. And so that's what we've been talking about. Last week, we spent some time talking about the, the way that God does things. God's economy works different than ours. Remember, we talked about Naaman and uh, the whole point of the the story of Naaman that I brought up last week was that Naaman was told to do something ridiculously simple. Naaman wanted to be cured from leprosy. He was told, dunk in the Jordan River seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman said, that just doesn't seem right. There's got to be more to it than that. And then Naaman goes away angry. Eventually one of Naaman's buddies come to him and say, hey, Naaman, why don't you just, why don't you just give it a shot? And so Naaman does exactly what the prophet tells him to do, and Naaman gets healed of leprosy. And we see that God isn't always interested in uh, who has the most talent. He's not always interested in who has the most money. What God is interested in is a group of people who will come together and they will be obedient to the things that he tells them, no matter how simple. So we come to John chapter 3. And I'm going to be in John 3.16. Now, don't tune out just because I said John 3.16. Many of you guys memorize this in uh, backyard Bible clubs, vacation Bible school, all over the place. Anybody who's spent any time in a Baptist church knows that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? I passed the quiz. You'd be amazed how hard it is to quote something in front of everybody on the spot. 
Your mind, your mind just shoots out the door. Names in scripture just shoot out the door. So everybody knows John 3.16. How many of you know John 3.17 without looking? I'm not going to ask you to say it. I'm not, I'm, I promise. Just raise your hand if you know John 3.17. One, two. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. John 3.17 and following is incredibly important. I would say that if the church would not only get a hold of John 3.16, but they would get a hold of the rest of the passage, the way that the church looks would be incredibly different. Let's read. I'm going to start in John 3.16 just for fun. Then we're going to read through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. John 3.16, awesome verse. If you want to lead somebody to Christ, John 3.16 is a great place to take them. God loves you. God sent his son to die on a cross for you. And if you will put your faith in him, you can have everlasting life and be forgiven of your sins. That's an incredible hope, right? Good. So, that is is such an incredible hope. But what does the church do oftentimes when it wants to lead people to Christ? Many times, churches, and I'm not just saying this church, sometimes I'll speak of the church at large. Many times, churches are incredibly judgmental. Think about the people that you run into in town this week. Uh, maybe you go to Food Line, maybe you go to Dollar General, maybe you go Burger King. Wherever you go in town, just think of the people that you see. And think of the people that are busy about doing whatever they do during the week. If some of those people walked in the church, what would we think of them? Would we be overly pleased that they're here? Would we readily cite John 3.16 and, and be ready to usher to them the same forgiveness and grace that Christ gives us? Or would we, would we maybe look at them a little funny and think, hmm, what's, what's that person doing here? Think of maybe, I don't know who he is yet, but what if the town drunk was to come into church? What would we think of him? Think of, think of all the people that you see in town. That, that maybe don't regularly attend. What would we think? Many times, churches have the mindset that people need to clean up their act before they come into church. And that's completely wrong. Right? Hope that we would agree. Without Christ, I wouldn't have cleaned my act up. Without Christ, you probably wouldn't have cleaned your act up. And if you did clean your act up without Christ, then it's still of no use because unless you have Christ's holiness, you cleaning your act up still doesn't matter because you have to have Christ. 
And so where we're going with all this is that all of those people that sometimes churches are very quick to judge, they're only in a bad standing with Christ or with God because of one reason. You take all of the the wicked people in the world, you take all of the, the big names that people come up with, you take Saddam Hussein, you take Adolf Hitler, you take Joseph Stalin, all those guys that people would readily say, oh yeah, bad person. When they stand before Christ, they're guilty of one thing. And that one thing is here in John 3, 18. I'm going to start in 17 again. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so you take anyone in the neighborhood, you take anyone in the world, and when they stand before Christ... They are either in a good standing or they're in a bad standing. They're in a good standing if they believe in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. They're in a bad standing, not because they've murdered, not because they've cheated, not because they've stolen, but they're in a bad standing with Christ because they haven't put their faith in the Son of the living God. And when you go out this week into the town you're only going to run into two different types of people. People who have put their faith in Christ and people who have not put their faith in Christ. And the people, whatever they look like, who have not put their faith in Christ, it's really, really important for us as Christians to realize that that is the the one primary fault that God has against them. Are all of the other sins that they do wrong? Yes. Are, Are they all a tragedy? Yes. Do they all have consequences? Yes. But the one thing that they're going to stand condemned for is that they rejected Jesus Christ. That's incredibly important. And we can't ever lose sight of that as a church because we don't get to pick and choose who we go to as a church. We go to everyone and everyone stands before God on the same grounds and that's on what they did with Jesus. That's why Jesus asked Peter, who do the people say I am? Jesus essentially asked Peter, hey, Peter, what are you going to do with me? And Peter answers, right? He says, you're the you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And so as you go throughout this week, give some thought to the idea that people are either in a good or a bad standing with God based upon what they do with Jesus and us as a church. It's our job to take Jesus to them and to not just be Jesus around them, but to actually share the gospel with them so that we give them an opportunity to do something with Jesus. So, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through Him. So often we take those people that are are caught up in sin and we condemn them for everything that they do. We give, eh, maybe we don't give it to them, but we run through a list in our minds of, of maybe things that they're doing wrong. And we, we condemn them without knowing it sometimes. Can you guys think back to the time when you came to Christ? Like I want you to, I want you to really think about when you met Christ for the first time and what it was like. Think about the time when you were lost and somebody came to you with the gospel and told you about Jesus Christ. 
Do you remember that feeling you had when you were sitting or standing there and you were having a conversation with somebody and you were just weighted down with sin? And then somebody came to you and they told you about Jesus, who was the Son of God, who died and paid the price for your sin and then rose from the dead. And that in raising from the dead, you could have life in His name and you could be forgiven of your sin. Do any of you guys remember that feeling that you had that it was like a weight being lifted off your chest because you, you used to live a life of sin and then you met Christ and He forgave you for everything that you ever did? Any of you guys remember that? All right. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. And I tell you, there's been times since I've been a Christian also that I've, I've stumbled back into sin like a lot of people. And there's been times when I came to repentance again and it was like almost getting saved again because that weight was just lifted off again. And there's a world outside these doors that wants to know about Christ and that needs to be forgiven of their sin. And it's our job to take it to them. But we as a body, and I'm not accusing us, I'm just saying that we as a church need to not condemn people before we present them to Christ. Because Christ didn't come into the world to condemn anyone. He came into the world to save them. Take the whole homosexual agenda. The whole argument that's going on in the news and the media. Where are Christians, uh, where do Christians pan out? Well, a lot of Christians look like they hate homosexuals. We don't hate homosexuals. We think what they're doing is, is, is devastating, that it's a sin and it's offensive to God. But if we as Christians are conveying a message that we hate someone based upon what they do, then we are not being Christ-like at all. If we have a reputation that we, we hate drunks, then we are not having a good reputation at all. Do we hate some of the things that people do? Yes, by all means. But we don't condemn them. We condemn what they're doing. Following me? Okay. So Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And so all of those people, all of the people in the homosexual debate, all of the people that, that we may readily judge, they stand condemned before God already. Only because they've rejected Christ. Remember what I told you? That God doesn't always do things the way that we do them. The Bible says in Isaiah that there's going to be a day of the Lord. And when the day of the Lord comes, God is going to burst through the mountains and He's going to be on the scene. And when God comes on the scene, people are going to be so overwhelmed by their sin that they beg for the mountains to fall on them and they go crawl in caves and they beg for the caves to fall on them also. That they're going to be so ashamed of their sinfulness and they're going to be so overwhelmed with the holiness of God that they, they don't even want to be around. But the first time Jesus comes, He doesn't come to condemn people. You see, there will be a day when it's too late for you and it's too late for I and that's after we're dead. And you need to be in a right standing with God before that day gets here. So, this is the verdict. Verse 19, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. So you can see, and you guys know this. Now we're getting somewhere with all this, so hang with me. You can see that by someone's actions, 
you can tell whether or not they love the light or hate the light. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Some people are completely against the things of Christ for this reason. Because they know if they come to Christ that all of their deeds will be exposed. Think about if you were still living in sin and let's take maybe you're a teenager and you get caught up in some sort of trouble. The last thing you want is for dad to know about it, right? You know, maybe mom can know about it. Don't tell dad. Don't tell dad. Some, 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 some trouble's different. Some trouble you can tell dad. Don't tell mom. Either way, whatever works best, whatever's the stronger analogy, you run with. Some people don't want to come home for fear that their parents will find out whatever's going on. Some people don't want to come to Christ for fear that everything will be made known. Truth be told, everything's known already, and you're going to be judged for it. But there's a fear on the part of some people that once their sins are known, that then they're going to be held accountable for them, and then they're going to be punished for them. But Christ says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came into the world to save the world. And so what happens is that when someone comes to Christ, when someone is is open and willing to live into the light, willing to walk into the light, their sins get forgiven. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are sick and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. See, we come to Christ with all of this baggage. And we give it to him. We give him all of our shortcomings. We give him all of our sin. We give him all of our failures. And you know what he gives us? Rest. And it's nice because this life is incredibly difficult and this life is incredibly burdensome and it's tough going on from day to day to day. Uh, sometimes I think that I can run the risk of being that parent who's never satisfied with whatever their kids do. I said I run the risk. I didn't say I was like that. I say that I have that potential there to never be satisfied. And some of you possibly view God in the same way that maybe you'll, you never feel like you'll live up to the expectations that he has for you. But Christ says, I didn't come into the world to condemn you. I came into the world to save you. He who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And so whenever someone comes into the light, whenever someone truly comes to Christ, they lay it all down, and then Christ forgives them for it. Now turn over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we have an incredible story about Christ that is incredibly encouraging no matter what walk of life you come from. John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this as a question 
They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. John chapter 3 verse 16 says that whoever puts their faith in Christ will be given eternal life. John 3.17 says the Son of Man didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Then you come over here to John chapter 8, and here's a woman who stands ready to be condemned by everyone. And Jesus doesn't condemn her. Jesus saves her. Here's the picture. Um, all the people, make sure I get it right, they're gathered in the temple court. And so it would be a gathering, let's just say for familiarity's sake, a gathering much like we have now. And if you remember the law of Moses, which I don't remember how much you know of, uh, the law of Moses was, was given so that the people of God, the Israelites, would be set apart from all the nations around them, and they were given a set of laws to keep so that they would be different, and so that they would be holy and set apart for God. And so the law said that if anyone was caught in sin, that that person was to be stoned, and they were to be removed from the assembly. There were certain sins that were worse than others, certain ones that you just, you were killed on the spot. And adultery was one of them. If you were caught in the act of adultery, then you were brought in and you were killed immediately. Follow me? Pretty harsh. And so here's the scene. The religious leaders don't like Jesus. So there's a gathering much like this, and the religious leaders are, are out in the back. And they find this woman that's been caught in adultery. And so they, they grab the woman after she's been caught in adultery, and they bring her into the assembly. And so just imagine for a minute that a group of people who are against Christ storm through those back doors and they've got a girl by the shirt and they say, this girl was caught in adultery. It'd be a pretty harsh setting to be in. It'd be a pretty uncomfortable setting. So anyways, the men, they bring the girl and they bring her straight down here and you're all watching. All these men, they come in Here's a girl that's been caught in adultery. The law says that she should be stoned, and, and they're right about that. Now, they're not showing any grace. They're not showing any mercy. But the law says that she should be stoned. And Jesus is standing here where I am. And they look at Jesus, and they say, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery. The law says we should stone her. What do we do? And remember, Jesus wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world. That Jesus was sent into the world to save the world. And so this is what Jesus does. It says the Pharisees brought in the woman caught in adultery and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commands us to stone such women. Now what do you say? So they're trying to trap Jesus. And then it says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And so the men are down there and there's the woman caught in adultery. Now, adultery is a pretty secretive sin. Um, to be caught in adultery is, 
is, is not quite as secretive. But most people that are in adulterous relationships are pretty secretive. And so let's just take whatever secret sin it may be that you have. Whatever thing that maybe goes on in your life that you don't want anyone else to know about. Maybe it's things you think. Maybe it's things you do. Okay? I'm not, I'm not uh, your judge or jury and I don't know. But whatever it is that you have that's a secret that you would like for no one else to know, there she is right there. And, and she, in her, her what used to be a secret sin, is standing before Christ. And what does Christ do? He, he bends over and he starts to write on the ground. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what he writes. We don't know. Being that he was Jesus and sometimes he's predictable, sometimes he's unpredictable, my guess would be that he starts maybe writing out the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt have no gods before me. Honor your mother and father. He just runs through the list, right? You guys know the list. You guys know the Ten Commandments. You guys probably keep them all right. At least we, we think we do. And so, what do the Pharisees do? They won't get off his back. They keep talking. It says that he begins to write in the ground. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. So, hypothetically, he runs through maybe the Ten Commandments. And the guys don't get it. They don't stop nagging Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, remember the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler says, uh, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, keep the commandments, honor your mother and father. And he says, all those things I've done. And Jesus is like, okay, well then go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. And at that, the rich man goes away sad because he had many treasures and he didn't want to do it. It doesn't mean that, that he was sinless. It just means that he was a bit arrogant believing that hmm, maybe he had all those things covered. And so possibly he goes through the Ten Commandments and the Pharisees don't get that they've broken those Ten Commandments too. And so they keep on nagging and they keep on nagging. And then Jesus says, whichever one of you is without sin, throw the first stone. Well, then Jesus goes back to writing. So he bends back over. Maybe... Instead of writing, thou shalt not lie, he puts, thou shalt not cheat on your taxes. Thou shalt not say mean things about people behind your back, behind their back. And maybe he gets specific with their sin. Instead of being general, like the twelve, like the the twelve commandments, like the ten commandments, maybe Jesus gets more specific. And he takes, and he looks at each person, and he writes maybe whatever their secret sin is that he doesn't want anybody to know in the sand. And the Bible says that the oldest left first and they worked their way down to where the youngest left. You see, these guys had a tradition, these Pharisees, in that if somebody came to them with a difficult question, the older men would let the younger men answer the question first. And then the older men would, would critique their answer and kind of curb them to, to the right understanding. Which is a pretty good method. And so Jesus starts with the older men. And he writes that, he possibly writes their sin in the sand. 
And as each one of the men see it, they think, man, maybe that lady's not as, as bad as I am. And they just kind of shamefully walk away and try to, try to get out of town without anybody seeing them. And so here you have this guy, Jesus, who's the son of God, who has brought a woman who's caught in adultery. And what does he do to her? He doesn't give her a free pass, but he sticks up for her. He shows her love. He defends her. It says that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then Jesus says this. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Maybe some of you guys are here and you've never met Jesus. We all live in the South. The South has a tradition that if you vote Republican and if you call yourself a conservative, then you're naturally a Christian. You're, you're born into Christianity as a Southerner. That's, that's kind of the mindset sometimes. The reality is, is that unless you have ever met Jesus face to face and you have given him your sin and taken his forgiveness and put your faith in his name, then you haven't become a Christian yet. And I want you to know that following Christ is the greatest thing that you could ever do with your entire life. He takes your life of sin and he gives you forgiveness he doesn't condemn you for the things that you've done wrong. He openly forgives you. Now, there will be a time where we'll stand condemned if we don't put our faith in him first. But I wanted to take today just to share with you that the gospel is very simple. Jesus Christ came into this world to die on a cross and take your sin. He wants to take all of the things you've done wrong he wants to take all of your shortcomings, all of your mishaps, and he wants to forgive you for them. If you will simply put your faith in him and repent of your sin and put your faith in the resurrection, you will be saved. And it's a glorious future. And so we serve a God who doesn't do things the way that we do them. We serve a God who does things on a completely different timetable. He's interested in forgiveness, whereas many times we're interested in judgment. And so if we're going to be a church that grows together, we're going to, we're going to have to work towards being uh, incredibly compassionate and incredibly forgiving and pleading the calls of those who can't stick up for themselves. And so guys, as we, uh, as we move into our time of invitation, I want to pray for us, but uh, I want you to know that uh, the offer of salvation is there anytime that you're interested. Uh, Christ paid the price once and for all for you, and you can take him up on that offer of salvation at any time. And so if you're interested in, in speaking with me, I'll be down front. But uh, let me go to the Lord in prayer now, and uh, then we'll go into our song of invitation. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness that he has uh, extended to us as believers in Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's, uh, if there's anyone here in this building who has never put their faith in you, Lord, I pray that uh, you would that you would lay on their heart 
that you do not want to condemn them, but you want to save them. God, I pray that uh, that we would all have the same forgiving spirit that you have. And God, I pray that we would all be eager to to lay our sin and our shame down at your feet. And Lord, I pray that as we do that, that we would walk in uh, in victory over sin because you don't just tell us to lay down our sin, but you tell us to go and sin no more. And so, God, I pray that we would be people uh, who live lives of repentance and faith. And Lord, I pray that as we go forward as a body, that, uh, that we would be known uh, as the people who are incredibly gracious and incredibly kind. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Father, thank you for another day to come and to look at your word. God, I pray that, uh, that you would go with us as we go throughout this week, that we would uh, indeed be uh, your ambassadors to a lost world. God, I pray that we would be a, a church on a hill that people can look to and, uh, and see the hope that we have in you. And so, God, please go with us as we go out these doors and get us back here at the next appointed hour. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.